Okay, well, while everybody's getting finally settled, we'd like to welcome you this morning, and especially if you're online, welcome. We are in the middle, kind of, of a series entitled Spiritual Warfare. And this sounds really loud to me. Is that okay? All right. We're talking about spiritual warfare because we need to. Um, we are in one. Uh, but not just, not just in that general sense of, oh yeah, we're, we're in a warfare. Uh, we are in the middle of war. Politically, socially, racially. Those are things that affect us all the time. Economically, there are people in this room that are fighting things physically. There are relational wars. And then there are the private wars that we fight with ourselves. I'm not where I should be. I'm a failure. Those kinds of things. They're here. They're not somewhere else. And so what I'm hoping this morning, I believe the Lord really wants to help people today. I believe what we're talking about is going to be a help. Because one fact that we have to face is Despite the fact that we live in a wicked world, God was not afraid to leave us here. When you were born again, he didn't just snatch you and say, whew, I got another one out. He kept us right here because he was not afraid for us. He is not afraid for us. But in many cases, with our great big brains... We have forgotten things. We've become disciples of knowledge, disciples of technology, disciples of other men. God wants us to be his disciples. He wants a relationship with us. And that you cannot fake because he does things we can't do. Right. You know who you're in contact with by your freedom level. Very confronting, very confronting to me. So I'm going to ask you to do something before we pray, and that's not for me, because I won't be able to tell. Can you take off your religion for a few minutes and just... Put it on the floor. You can pick it back up afterwards. But it's going to harm you. It's going to stop you if you keep up the, the religion of everything's cool, I'm cool, I'm great. You know, and that's what we just finished doing, didn't it? How are you? Fine. <laughs> Maybe you aren't. But we would never know it. And I'm not saying we spill our 
stuff everywhere. People we don't know will care for us. But I am saying that is our, our habit. How are you? Great. How are things going? Perfect. Fine. At work, the, the standard phrase is living the dream. How are you? Living the dream. So I say, yeah, it's two of us. All right. Good job. Way to go. But I'm going to ask you before we pray, because if you're in a place of war, if you have a battle, I have a couple going on, a couple of fronts. You need to acknowledge the, the fact of, I have a place, Lord, that I need you to fight for me. I have a place that I need you to rise up for me. I'm not winning. Because we know the ones we're winning and the ones we aren't. And if you aren't winning, you can. Because you have a God who's able to save you completely. And not through positive thinking, but through mighty deliverance because he's a God of power and most of our things don't take much of his power because he created the heavens and the earth but he wants to because we're his we're his kids he never pushes away his kids he never prolongs our pains he's interested in rescue he's interested if we've skinned our knee he wants to put a band-aid on it first he wants to hug us then he'll put a band-aid on it He's, better than, he's a better parent than we are to our kids. And we know what that's like. So I'm going to ask you, but I can't make you, drop your wall. We talked about this last week. Drop the wall that says, I don't need anything. And instead say, Abba, I need you. I need your help here. I'm not winning. I'm not taking ground. You may be winning 99 battles, but he wants us to win the 100th one too. Can we pray that? Hallelujah, Father. I'm just going to be still for a minute so that you can take off your religion and take off your coat of armor because we want a different one. Heavenly Father, we welcome you, your presence. We welcome the presence of your Holy Spirit here, and we ask you by your Spirit to move among us and do what only you can do. There's battles that need to be fought and won in this room, Father. There's battles that need to be fun and what, fought and won by people listening online. We're acknowledging today that our hope is in you. You are our shield. You are our strong, thick wall to hide behind. Hallelujah. Father, by your spirit, we ask for you to come. We welcome you. 
and we ask for you to do what we can't do. Grant us ground today. We want to take ground back. So we're calling on your name to be who you are to us, and that's Savior. You save us. There is nothing too difficult for you. There is no disease too big. Your life kills death. Your life kills disease. Your life is greater than anything we know. You raise the dead and call into being that which doesn't exist. That's who you are. We can't even relate to that. We can't relate to your bigness. We can't relate to your power. And we can't relate to your great love that you could be or would be that good to me. So we need help in every way. Look upon this little group of people and accept our welcome. Be pleased to help us this day. And for the help of your presence, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to be reminded we don't just come to church for a performance and then we leave and go back to our <laughs> difficult, difficult lives. This is, this is a time of drinking. You've come for a drink this morning, a drink from a different kind of spring, and God gives it. And I don't know how he does, and I don't know how he'll do it for you. But this I do know. He loves us. And we, the way he loves us, we don't fathom. We can't fathom it. He has to give it to us in little bits and pieces because he's just not like us. We walk with a God who is so different. He's so different. He is so different than us. And everything is always to be a demonstration of love. He doesn't just love us. He wants to demonstrate it. Jesus Christ was a demonstration, Romans 4 tells us. He was demonstrating how much he loves us. Now, we're talking about spiritual warfare, and everything in me wants to review. Judah started this series, and everything in me wants to talk about the importance of taking a stand. If you don't take a stand, why should he? If you don't take a stand, how can God take a stand for something you aren't taking a stand? But I can't go there, but I just did, but I'm not going there. And everything in me wants to go back and talk about last week, but I'm only going to be able to give a little mini review. Uh, could we have uh, 2 Corinthians 10? In 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5, the scripture says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful. For the destruction of fortresses. Well, what kind of fortresses? We are destroying speculations. And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The realm of our warfare is the mind. The weapons used are thoughts. We talked last week about the most devastating and violent and crushing battle 
that humankind has experienced took place in Genesis chapter 3 with a simple conversation. And man gave it all away. The serpent came. He questioned God to Eve. He produced her in her a double-mindedness, a two-mindedness. The tree is good. Yes, we aren't supposed to eat it, but it's good. And God's withholding something good from me, the serpent convinced her. And when Adam and Eve ate of the tree, man fell. Death entered. And then, you then entered in all of the other things, like murders and wicked acts and things that are just unspeakable. Our whole life is lived out of our thoughts. That's why Proverbs 4 says, watch over your heart with all diligence. The heart, the thoughts of the heart, the scripture always talks about. When the scripture talks about the, the heart, it includes the soul and it's a difficult thing to separate. But Solomon wrote, watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the issues of your life, the matters of your life, your situations, your responses. They flow out of what you think. God wants your mind. The devil wants your mind. And if I could say something for a minute, when I talk about the devil, I'm talking about a real person. I'm not talking about the concept of evil out in the cosmos. The Bible teaches that the devil is a very real person, that demons are very real. So we have this phrase, I have my demons, you have your demons. And what we often mean metaphorically is, I got my troubles, I got my hang-ups, I got... No, no, that's not what we're talking about. Yes, you have those. But when we talk about the demonic, we're talking about something very real. Uh, I, you, I've said it many times here, but the first time I cast out a demon... I didn't even know I was going to cast out a demon. It was just an act of God with my sister's roommate from college. I was going to tell the dog to go lay down, but what came out of my mouth was, go out. And she gave the exorcist scream. And the demon rushed by me, and I felt it rush past me. That's how real a demon is. And then she, being marvelously freed, began to move in the miraculous. She began to have dreams. She began to have miraculous things happen. The Lord providing money for her when there wasn't money in the ashtray of her car a minute ago. We're talking about a very real God. We aren't talking about metaphorical demons, although we understand I guess that phrase, but that's not what I mean. I mean beings that specifically are intent on disturbing you, disturbing your family, disturbing your house, disturbing your life. But you know what? Something, something interesting. Do you remember that Jesus on one occasion cast out a man cast out demons out of a man who was a lunatic, and it said he had a legion of demons. 
And the legion of demons had been saying to that man, the man was running around naked, living in graveyards, breaking chains. Nobody could hold him. He was crazy and strong. And the demons were telling him, harm yourself, cut yourself, kill yourself. So the man would harm himself, and he would cut himself, but he never killed himself. Because even then, 10,000 demons could not make him do something he really didn't want to do. You know, if you're going to be a lunatic, well, I'll be the best lunatic, I guess he figured. And when he saw Jesus, 10,000 demons could not stop him from coming to Jesus. So even the demonic does not have the power it wants you to think. Second point. My review is already much longer than I want it to be. Second point. Permission must, need, must be given. The devil cannot barge into your house, conk you over the head, and take over your life. He must be invited in. And we do that. We converse. We entertain thoughts. We talk with thoughts in our mind or we have discussions. And we give permission through words, actions, and beliefs. Things that I believe. Words, simple. These are not to be judgmental. These are not just examples of, hey, you know the flu's going around. Think I'm going to get it. Well, then I bet you will. Because you're giving permission. You're acknowledging, okay, I'm open to this. And there are beings that listen for opportunities. Actions. We talked about horror movies last week. The fascination with fear. The fascination with being afraid. And what if a slasher was in my house? Well, those are not safe things to entertain because they open you up to things that you don't understand because you don't understand fear. We don't understand fear. We don't understand some of these things. They're Pandora's boxes. That We open the box and we can't get the demons to come back in. We can't get the things. We aren't in control. That's why we talked last week about the need for a, a repentance and a renouncing, a taking away permission. I let somebody in, metaphorically. I let something in my house, and now it's living on my couch and eating all my food. And watching TV channels I don't want to watch. Like golf. Sorry. Well, that's time. You aren't stuck. But that's where there needs to be a very real reckoning with God to say, I'm sorry, I repent, I let something in. And now it's time to speak to the thing and say, time to go. Because there are many things that we entertain that are illegal. They don't have a right. They have to be asked in, and they can also be asked to leave or told. And then long-held beliefs. This runs in my family. Anger runs in everybody's family. Everybody's got a bad temper. Except Canadians. Except Rich. Rich is the only Canadian that I know. This is how the nature of our warfare. The other aspect that I would add is 
Warfare never looks like warfare. The devil never knocks on your door with a suit and red horns and a tail and a pitchfork and says, hey, I'm coming here to bug you. I've told this story, but I'll say it again. My, my stepdad had a friend who was in the Korean War, and they were on the front lines, active engagement with the North Koreans. And when they traded guard posts, when the new sentries came on, the old sentry would say, there's three rocks and four bushes. And if there's ever more than three rocks and four bushes, you shoot. Because part of the uh, strategy was disguise yourself as a rock, as a bush, describe your, uh, uh, camouflage yourself as something natural so that you can sneak up. How many of our conversations just seem like conversations? And we would never know. We don't know what's demonic. That's why we're supposed to be on guard of everything. Weapons of our warfare are not natural, but divinely powerful for the pulling down of what? Fortresses, thoughts, imaginations. That's the realm we're in. And I don't know that I know how to tell what bad conversation is just me having a pity party and what conversation is meaning to do me harm. So that's why we're supposed to guard over our hearts all the time. So last week, if we could have 1 Samuel 30, the, the passage up. Last week, I married two verses together because Judah had been working with uh, the scripture from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, where he says, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the enemy. And then he talks about that. That's the full armor of God passage. That's the passage where he, he makes it plain that our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but against not metaphorical powers, real, demonic, spiritual powers, and that there's a hierarchy. So Paul lists the hierarchy. We're up against, sometimes we're up against foot soldiers, demonic foot soldiers. Sometimes we're up against captains and generals and people that have a scheme, people that want to plant something. Plant something bad so that it grows in your church or in your mind or in your family, in your marriage. So uh, last week, I sought to marry this passage of, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, with this passage from 1 Samuel 30. And I will just tell you the story real quick. In 1 Samuel 30, David and his men, about 600 of them, returned to this town where all their families were living, and the town was called Ziklag. And when he got to Ziklag, he found out that the Amalekites, an enemy country, had raided Ziklag and carried away all the people. David's two wives, all the wives and children of his men, they had taken everything of worth and burnt the city. Now that's a gut punch. And the scripture says they wept until they could weep no more. They had no more strength for weeping, but they did have strength for one thing, blame. 
they then sought, began to talk about, let's stone David. This is all his fault. So compounded, David has lost his wives. They've been taken captive. And who knows what's happened? They could all be dead. We don't know. But now his men want to kill him. Um, you know what? I told you the wrong verse. Can we have second, uh, 1 Samuel 30, verse 6? And I'll give them a minute. I do that sometimes. And in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, the scripture says, but in the midst of all of this, the towns burned, people are, taken, people are kidnapped, and in verse 6, moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. What did he do? And that's what we left last week. What did he do? Did we go on? I can't remember if I gave you other verses to go on or not. I, that's, that's okay. Um, whatever David did, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God, and that's also Ephesians chapter uh, 6, strengthen yourself. So what are we being told to do? In 1 Samuel 30, Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Please, please bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. The ephod was... Some places call it a spiritual armor, which makes it very interesting to pair it with Ephesians chapter 6, but that's the studier in me, and I can't do that today. But it was, the, the ephod was meant for communication with God. There were onyx stones, there was a urim, a thummim, which we don't even understand what that is. Supernatural devices that God honored and communed. But here's, here's a couple of points. Do you notice David, before he prayed, he strengthened himself? What if too many of us pray before we're strengthened? And then we think our prayer doesn't work. When we prayed, when we weren't ready to pray yet. We said we're praying to God, but we're still praying, we're still seeing the mountain of our situation. This idea in the scriptures of Doing something before you pray so that when you pray, it's effective. Prayer is a requiring of God's presence. Many of us, you know, when I talk to people, and I, it happens a lot, and I've done it myself, when something's up, I say, well, what have you done? And they say, well, I prayed. And usually they say, well, I prayed. Well, I don't want to pray with you right now because I don't want to do one more thing that's not going to work for you. Because in your mind, this thing is still God. And what kind of prayer did you pray? You know, the scripture says, and if, depending on what you Google, you can find anywhere from five different kinds of prayers, four or five different kinds of prayers, to six or seven different kinds of prayers. Nonetheless, there's more than one kind of prayer. And usually what we mean is, I ask. I put my quarter in the slot and said, please give me this. So whatever 
this thing is that David did, we want to learn it. We need to learn it. Because in many cases, we are not doing well. We aren't winning. We are losing ground. We're not taking ground. And things are crumbling all around us. And I'm not saying it's easy, but what I am saying is, despite the difficult day we live in, God thought this would be, you would be the perfect person to live in this day. Some people couldn't handle this day. But you could. You were picked because he's able to use you. Isn't that what Esther was told? Who knows if you haven't been picked for this very hour. And so there's a group of people, we're here. Let's do it. But let's not be punching bags. We're going to have to, this generation is going to have to pick up things not that are new and trendy and shiny. We're going to have to pick up things that are ancient and old. We're going to have to stand on somebody's shoulders who did it before. You know, I started working construction. I'd never been a roofer before. And Butch Fridge back there gave me his old hammer. Why? Because it was old. And it was old. But it was the only hammer I had. And I loved that hammer. And eventually, I realized my hammer is pretty old. Everybody's got shiny hammers. And I did get my own shiny hammer because then I could afford it. But you know what I liked better? My old hammer. It wasn't pretty, but man, it fit my hand. And I know there's lots of shiny stuff out there. But there's weapons. There's things that the men of God learned and understood and knew how to do that are old and ancient and we have got to make up our mind, do I want to keep playing around or do I want to start winning? And if I want to start winning, I'm going to have to do some work. It is easy to be a punching bag in one sense because you don't got to do anything. Just get kicked. Oppression is difficult. And work is difficult. But with work, you get to win. With some of these things that we're going to be looking at today, you're going to have to work and sometimes do it when you don't feel like it and do it, and sometimes you aren't going to do it well. And some, But you know what? There's going to be times where the presence of the Lord fills your room and you're going to be changed and your situation is going to be changed and your body is going to be healed and your thing's going to get fixed and you're going to recognize this was God's presence. There is no substituting for that. There isn't. And that's what we've been called to. But we've gotten sidetracked into so much stuff and junk and knowledge. So I want to take you through just a couple of things. Just because whatever David did, we're going to look at it. But it wasn't just David. The scripture also makes references to other people. If we could have Romans chapter 4 up. Abraham was told you're going to have a baby. But he was, 90, he was 90 and his wife was just a little bit younger. And so the Bible says he looked, he wanted this. This is where his inheritance is going to go, and God said it. Did you ever have God say something to you and that, that makes it matter a little more when it doesn't seem to be happening? 
but I heard. So the Bible says in Romans chapter 4, if you read back a few, but we aren't going to read back a few verses. Abraham, without becoming, oh, it's right there, never mind. Without becoming weak, I, sometimes I forget what I tell them. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm just going to cut right to it. and then I. Without becoming weak in faith, Abraham contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. And he contemplated the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief. Listen, one of the first things that has to get dealt with is the double mind. David dealt with it. He could not deal with what's going on with my wife and my men are going to kill me. He had to get zeroed in. The double mind is the enemy because James teaches us, let not that person is unstable. Let not that person expect to receive anything from the Lord not because God doesn't want to give, but you can't hear it. Everything you hear will be jostled with, yeah, but what about, but what about, but what about? Was that the Lord? Maybe that was just me. And we know that. We've been there. Prime goal of warfare is produce a double mind in you first because then you can't do anything. Then you can't get to your God. Even if he tells you something, you won't be able to hear it. If I was an enemy, that's what I'd do. He's dirty. He's nasty. But we have God. That's our ace. So Abraham, David, now Abraham. Abraham considered, I got this promise, but it's not going to happen. And the scripture says he contemplated, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated, okay, this is not going to happen with me and Sarah. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in belief. But look what he did. Grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. This is a precursor to what David did. He grew strong in faith. He grew strong in the Lord his God. And, fully, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform... Is there another verse? God reckoned it to him as righteousness. God did something. And reckoning of righteousness, I'm telling you, that is not just a little Bible verse. And some of these verses we're going to look at today, we've got to take them off the page of our religion because they mean powerful things. When God reckons something to you as righteousness, it means you are right with me, you are right in what you believed, and I will do it. It's a whew. Okay, so Abraham, um, Isaiah chapter 40. So Abraham was before David. Isaiah is after David. Isaiah writes, do you, know, do you not know, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet, listen, those who do this thing, and this is not twiddling your thumbs, th those who do this thing, this weight, whatever this weight is, the word is klobah. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Those who know how to strengthen themselves in the Lord. And the idea of this word klobah is to plait or braid your hair together. Those who know how to intertwine themselves with the Lord. Something happens. We want to know what this is. 
Uh, let's go to Ephesians 5. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Oh, yeah. <sighs> be filled with the Spirit. This is not a yawn. Be filled with the mighty Spirit of God who, in the Old Testament, if somebody, if one person had the Holy Spirit, you knew who it was. And when Samuel walked into the town, everybody was afraid. Have you come with good news or with bad? Because you have the Holy Spirit. And we treat this like an unpowerful verse? We better not. Remember, our religion's on the floor for 15 more minutes. You can pick it up if you want, or you can just leave it. We'll vacuum it up. Be filled with the Spirit. How? Speaking to one another, or the Greek actually says, speaking to yourself, yourselves, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. And finally, just for this brief review, Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 to 11. This is the passage where Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness and the, the, the devil, not the metaphorical devil, the very real living being devil, has tempted him by saying, turn this stone into bread, throw yourself off the temple, and finally, with this third temptation, again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go Satan, for it is written, for it is written, please listen, for it is written. What did Jesus use? Something bigger than himself. These are ancient things. These are things that people did. These are things that people practiced. They are often things that we don't do and we don't practice. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, in all of these things, we, we've just taken a look at um, examples of people who strengthened themselves in the Lord. And this is not a mental, psychological, positive thinking, or just simply a redirecting of my mind, even the unsaved can do that. I told you about the steel beam walkers last week. They build these skyscrapers, and they're walking on places that I was sitting on my couch, and my stomach was queasy, and my knuckles were white. And I had to tell myself, Alan, you're just sitting in your own living room. You're not going to fall. Even the unsaved can direct their mind, but they can't bring the Lord into the room. That's the difference. What we're talking about is doing something in obedience and in keeping with God's ways that brings his presence in, and his presence does the things that we cannot do. This is not mental. This is not psychological. This is a spiritual movement. And it's one of the things that makes the Bible quite unique. So... Uh, can we have the passage in Jeremiah chapter 6? Thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But we aren't going to say what they said. We need things that are ancient. We need things that are tested. We need things that are tried and true. 
What did David do? He did what he was famous for doing. And the Psalms are filled with examples of David and others who wrote Psalms. How they strengthened themselves in the Lord. David is a central and significant figure in the Bible. He's not a minor part. And the Psalms are a significant book in the volume of the Scriptures. And the Psalms have not been left to us just to read and feel good sometimes. They were records that we are able to now also use the same way as the author to sit at the feet of David and to sit at the feet of Holy Spirit because David was filled with the Holy Spirit. Samuel anointed David with oil and the Holy Spirit left King Saul and came on a shepherd boy. And he was known, one of the things that characterized his life was these psalms. And he had psalms. He wrote psalms. They're prolific. He wrote psalms for every kind of human situation and thing. Every kind of place where if he had a complaint, he even teaches us how to complain. And if he was surrounded by enemies, he was... He, would, he knew how to strengthen himself despite real enemies with swords and spears and bows and arrows. He knew how to direct himself to the Lord and bring a response from the Lord. And if you notice, there are so many psalms that start with David speaking and end up with the Lord saying something. I want to read Psalm 91 to you. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That's immediate presence. I will say to the Lord, see him directing his mind? The Psalms are filled with, be still, my soul. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Be still. Exult, O my soul. The men of old knew how to talk to themselves. Where to dwell, where not to dwell. But that's on the side. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you. He's talking to himself. Oh, my soul, I'm looking in the mirror. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a thick castle wall. Bulwark. Not going to knock that baby down. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day. There are terrors and there are arrows. You won't be afraid of the pestilence that stalks in darkness or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. Can you hear him talking to himself? You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. 
and you will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Now, the Lord liked this. The Lord liked how David had approached him because now the Lord interrupts him. And now the Lord says, let me respond to you. Because this man has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high. He is, because he has known my name. He he's, knows what I'm like. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. For now, you and I have the same opportunity to have that same psalm lived out in our life. It's available. It's a possibility. And there's so many other psalms. You know, Ephesians says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I just want to localize right now, and I am not minimizing hymns and spiritual songs because they're filled with truth, they're tools, they're weapons. I just want to use the psalms because David is significant, the psalms are significant, and sometimes when I'm weak, I don't know how to strengthen myself, and the psalms are given to me as a tutor. I am able to be the apprentice of David. I am able to learn this isn't a chant, but it is a, a way. It's an ancient way. And some men knew how, and some men knew how well. And David knew how to do it well. And David's life was filled with trouble and blessing. Exaltation and demotion. There's a psalm for you. There's a psalm where you can find you and strengthen yourself in the Lord and in the strength of his might and bring forth a God response. Using the Psalms is reliable. There's a lot of cool songs out there, but I don't know if he'll, I don't know if when God hears that song, he says, that's a great song. But I do know when I use a Psalm, I've got God's attention because just the fact that I'm looking through the Psalms is an announcement to the Lord, I'm seeking you. I'm coming to your book. I'm not going anywhere else. And I'm going to use your book. And we see that the whole book can be used. Jesus didn't just use Psalms. In warfare, Jesus said, it is written. Which is why I made a statement last week, I don't read my Bible every day. And I don't. But there's been years where I did. We just don't want to make a law. Nathan, do you read your Bible today? No? Oh my gosh, you better, or God will. No, 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 no. If I don't read my Bible every day, I still think it every day. But it is not to our benefit to be weak in the Scriptures. It is to our benefit to know, our, to know what the Word of God is so that we have a ready word a ready opinion from God, a ready God thought. So I'm not saying let's be lazy. I'm just saying if you don't read your Bible, don't fall into condemnation. Think it. The more important part is think it. Use it. But this idea of the Bible only being a textbook is, is only one-sided and be, leaves us very limited and crippled in warfare. 
The Bible is to be used. Psalms are to be used. Scriptures are to be used. God's thoughts are the only thing that can combat beings that are stronger than us and smarter than us and wiser than us. God's caused us to use something higher. That's why he's not afraid for us. He just says, stay with me. Stay with me. I'm the shepherd. Stay in relation. Value what I said. Exalt what I said more than what they say. And more than what the doctor said. And more than what your husband said. And more than what your wife said. And more than what your kids said. More than what your boss said. And more than what the TV said. You're supposed to have one Lord. And what he says trumps everything else. And that was not a political plant. It's just a word. God's word is over every other thought. And so what we need is something bigger. Uh, one of the things I, I do, when the Lord taught me this, I wasn't even married yet. Um, I worked in a home with juvenile delinquents, which meant I was always in conflict and strife with kids that were bigger than me. And I was taught, use the Psalms. Put on God. Put God on. Quit putting you on. Pick Quit putting on good thinking. Put on that which will make him, invite him into the room. And so one of the things, I'll just tell you this, because sometimes people get bogged down. I'm going to read a portion of Psalm 68, because I go here a lot. This is one of the ones. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burden. The God who is a God, who is our salvation. God is to us a God of deliverances, and to God the Lord belong escapes from death. Surely God will shatter the head of his enemies. Now, you may pick a scripture that may not seem to have anything to do with your situation, and yet it comforts you, it feeds you. But now, after verse 21... He goes on to rebuke the beasts in the reeds, the herd of the bulls. With And I'm like, that does not relate to me. That is not relevant. I don't want to read that. So I jump over to, oh God, you are awesome from your sanctuary. Pick the portions that are relevant to you, to your battle. Don't get bogged down in thinking I have to read the whole psalm. I learned. And I learned this from the Lord, from the Holy Spirit. One day as he led me in my living room, as I was crying out to him, and I thought, let me try this, let me obey in this. And the Lord took me on this wonder, wonderful little, let me hold your hand and take you through the Psalms and change you. You might find a portion that is relevant. The next part, skip over it. If it's talking about bulls and deserts and tents of Kadar and... Like, all right, let me go straight to, oh God, you are awesome from your sanctuary. The God of Israel himself gives strength and power. Blessed be God. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget none of his benefits. It reminds me there are benefits. He pardons every iniquity, so there's no reason to not heal your disease. You're already forgiven. There's nothing being held against you. You, aren't, you don't deserve a disease. Because you're forgiven. This is the kind of 
logic, the kind of chewing over a psalm. I'm trying to demonstrate it without being fake. How a psalm, a truth, can get you to begin to consider truth. I'm not just talking about rote chanting, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, for he pardons all your iniquity. I'm talking about, I'm coming to you, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget none of his benefits. Thank you for reminding me there are benefits I've forgotten. This is what your meditation may look like. This is what your strengthening yourself in the Lord may look like. He pardons all my iniquities. Hallelujah. Therefore, there's no reason for you to withhold anything else from me. Thank you for that. You pardon all my, you heal all my diseases. You redeem my life from the pit. It looks like I'm in a pit right now. It looks like my family's in a pit. It looks like my job's in a pit. But you know what? You are my redeemer. Therefore, I will not accept the pit. You redeem me out of the pit. So even if I'm in a pit, you redeem me out of the pit. You surround me with loving kindness and compassion. You renew my years like the eagle. You knew my strength, my youth, like the eagle. Therefore, I will not expect, accept age talk. It's illegal. I don't see it. I don't see the God who raises people from the dead having any trouble with me being my age. But I think I let things in. I think I give permission and I hold beliefs about, well, you know, when you get 60, you start forgetting things. Guess what? I know 20-year-olds that forget stuff. So what, are we going to start just accepting all this? Everybody has no mind? Well, yeah, at least old people. Forgetfulness is not something. These are not things we want to get bogged down in. So uh, I want to leave you with this idea that the Scriptures do offer us a path and a way. And that men of God, of men of old, understood this and knew it. It's us in our day that have many, in many cases not connected the dots and not learned and forgotten things and maybe put down things we once knew. But when Ephesians says, be, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, that is not a light thing. And our familiarity sometimes does Scripture Injustice because we lose the power of it. But I'm telling you, the men of old knew how to strengthen themselves. David knew how to strengthen himself in the Lord in such a way that it would bring God in. It would welcome God and he would be in a place to receive the help of God. And so much of that is recorded in Psalms as a practical manual for us to begin to use. And you may only take one stanza. That's beautiful. There are a couple places in the Psalms that I only use one stanza because it sets me, it resets me. I love the Lord because he hears my voice. I love the Lord because he hears my cry, Psalm 116. I love that. It resets me, and I don't know why. It just does. And you will find the same thing, and you are not being called to imitate me because you are going to find things, you are going to do things differently than me. We're all going to do things differently but we're all going to find things out in our own little individual journey as God teaches us how to uniquely use the word. And you may, when you and I get together, we may do things.
things that look completely different, and yet the outcome is we are strengthened in the Lord and the Lord himself comes in the room. We learn what being under his shadow is like, being in his shadow. So this is the purpose, this is the point. What I've given you is something to work with. It's a tool, it's a weapon for your belt. It's something that you're supposed to have in your arsenal. And it's something that many people throughout the ages have had. Um, we just didn't call it that. And uh, so I pray that you'll find help as you begin to be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his might and finding out what happens when he comes in the room. I'll leave you with that.